Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is a new age phenomenon by the new fake tough guys that are known as ultimate fighters. 15 pounds? It's the same, you weigh the same thing. What's happening guys? Happy Friday. And thank you for joining another special episode of You're Welcome. It has been an eventful week in combat sports. I'm going to get to all of that on today's show. I'm going to get into Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou, as well as Johnny Walker's comments on what went down over the weekend out of Abu Dhabi. But before I do that, guys, I want to start at the beginning with a massive shakeup we've had for the UFC 295 pay-per-view scheduled for November 11th out of New York City. John Jones is out. Now guys, I gotta jump in here and I would be remiss to not throw in the gracious John get well soon. And that really is what that's about. I feel when we're talking about John, we can be more calloused at times because he can handle it, right? John is the toughest. He is the heavyweight champion. He is ranked number one in the world. One thing I will tell you about John that he doesn't get credit for. John gets credited for being really good. John has skills that we've never seen before. I have watched Joe Rogan, possibly the most eloquent rhetoric in all of sports, be flustered in the first one minute of John Jones fights because he doesn't know what John's doing. None of us do. John will go and do something that doesn't have a name. He did this to Glover, and Frank Mir had already done it. Frank Mir did it many years before uh, to, uh, to Varys, if you guys will remember that, but in a different position. John's on his feet with Glover to share it. Glover puts an underhook. John locks his arm and tears Glover's bicep. Do you guys remember that? What do you call that? I have a black belt. I don't know what that is called. I, I'm just sharing for you, like, John is known for being so good, for being so creative, for being so crafty, having such a high arsenal and repertoire of techniques, particularly in the stand-up, right? Remember when he fought Stefan Bonner, he caught, caught the kick, and he, he rotates over and throws an elbow? Now, that's a Muay Thai technique that I have seen before, but I've never seen it in live competition, and I've never to this day, aside from that, seen it in MMA. So... As we go down the road and we establish and state the obvious, which is how good John Jones is, what people don't know is how tough he is. John Jones is tough. John Jones has been confronted in that cage with what every fighter fears, which is wanting out, right? Fight or flight, it's just a natural human instinct. Wanting out and having the opportunity to get there. Having that door open where you can choose to step through it. You're going to lose and your dream's going to be done, but you're going to be safe and this is going to be over. 
And it's this constant battle that every athlete has to deal with. John was there possibly in no more clear of times than when Vitor Belfort put him in the armbar. And John had to ask himself in that moment, he could have got a rematch, he could have avoided that position, he could have beat him up, he could have just done it five months from now. Or he can deal with the ligament damage, fight the position, and win tonight. And John's been put in those spots a number of times. And I only share this with you. For John Jones to say I'm hurt and I can't fight, you don't have to question the legitimacy. This is not a situation of nobody was around and I have no witnesses, but look, I've got a cut on my eye, so I'm going to stay home and not get on that airplane, right? It's not a situation like that. Matter of fact, in case you guys haven't seen this, if you're glued to the interwebs like I am, perhaps you have, but coincidentally, John happened to be filming this piece of his workout. And that was very serendipitous for a number of reasons. One over here at Bad Guy Inc., we just made a piece yesterday about how much footage of preparation John has released to the public for the build to the fight with Stipe. And then you juxtapose that against any other fight or even a collection of every fight he's ever had, you won't find as much footage that's gone down. Now, wouldn't you know, this very session where John was injured, he happened to be filming. It was a wrestling situation. The opponent looked to be a lot bigger. John working out with more of these heavyweight style guys. John was in a bad position by wrestling standards, and John would agree on that. Wrestling, much like weightlifting, you want to get your hips underneath you. Very important you get your hips underneath you. We would call it a knee under your nose. Wherever you are before you lift, you make sure your knee is underneath your nose. John wasn't in that position. He was a little bit strung out. He could have gotten away with it, and I'm sure throughout his life has gotten away with it. A little bit different, bigger guy. When John went to lift him, it looked as though it pulled the pectoral muscle and tore it off in some degree. Dana spoke about it and said, man, it's going to be at least eight months. This is extremely relevant though, right? It's, it's extremely relevant for where we go from here. So to put the message aside, which is John, get better, right? We, we know, we know where the guy is tough and proven as John Jones, that this has to be something very serious or he would have gone through with it anyway. The remedy, the remedy is going to be to put Sergey Pavlich in with Tom Aspinall. Now, there's few things that I love and enjoy hearing myself say to you guys more than we will fiercely adhere to the rules that we make up on the spot. Guys, this is the second time. This is the second time in as many weeks. We have a backup fighter, right? We had Gamrot a week ago. Gamrot was the backup fighter. We needed a backup. We did not go to Gamrot. So now we're in a situation where Sergey Pavlich has been named the backup fighter. But he was named this close to two months ago. Now, I told you guys, I told you, Sergey's got a problem. And the problem is he can't get his message out. 
This is nobody's fault but Sergi's in terms of not knowing he was the backup fighter. Sergi is on the tip of everybody's tongue. The hardcores you guys meet, we're there. We know exactly who he is. We know his beautiful record. We know his one loss. and It was his debut to Overeem. We know that he's uh, knocked out his last six guys. We know that he's been scheduled in main events. We know that he was the top draw. We know that when Tom Aspinall himself laid out a round robin to get to a world title fight, he conveniently left out Pavlich. We know all of these things. But the little old lady in Iowa that you make your living off of, if Sergei Pavlich walked in her house right now and stole her keys to her car, she wouldn't be able to tell the police who stole the keys to her car. They don't know what a Sergei or a Pavlich even is. But that's his fault. He was put in a golden position. He doesn't need highlights and videos and memes. He doesn't need any of these things. He has access to those. He can hire his own guys. It's what Paulo Costa did. It's what Henry Cejudo did. And both of those guys stole the idea from the original, which was Colby Covington, the first guy to bring in his own camera crews and promote his own pieces and get it out to the world, confusing the world, because everybody assumed that the UFC was, was Colby Covington. Sergey Pavlich has access to the same stuff. But I got to bring this to you. This is a massive deal. It's a massive deal. A backup fighter is to do just that. If one of the guys gets hurt in your principal event, the backup fighter goes in. In this case, the backup fighter does not go in. What in the hell was the point of having him? Do you think that Tom Aspinall versus Sergey Pavlich, as much as we like that, right, that, that represents what's next. That represents the youth. That is for sure. Those are the right two guys to carry the torch for the next at least a half a decade. Out with the old, in with the new. But do you think for one moment that Sergey Pavlich versus Steve Miocic isn't a bigger fight than that? Of course you don't. Of course you don't. And this is no one's fault that Sergey couldn't get that fight other than Sergey. You won't even hear Sergi coming out doing interviews saying today what I'm saying about him. I'm sticking up for him. I'm standing up for him right now. Even if it looks like I'm giving him the business, I'm giving him the business as a way of serving and helping him. And it's more than he will do for himself. So then, I mean, you, you got to understand the rest of this. The rest of it is, as of right now, we're going to take Steve Bann Jones and we're going to move him to 2024. We're going to do a big fight in 2024. Okay, hold on. I know that we follow the rules that we make up on the spot, but I also know there's something to be said for history. So listen to how this is going to go. Madison Square Garden, you're going to have an interim championship fight. You're going to have Sergey Pavlich versus Tom Aspinall. One of them comes out interim champion somewhere in 2024 at a minimum of eight months from now. At a minimum of eight months from now, you're then going to have an undisputed title fight. Do you guys see the problem? This has never happened. If you have an interim champion, when the undisputed champion returns, they fight every time. Not some of the time. Every time. So you're either out of nowhere going to have to take the belt off Pavlich, which has been done before. They did it to Colby Covington. Colby beat the BMF champion and never became BMF champion. Colby became the interim champion, never lost it, and no longer was the interim champion. Like, this can be done, but why? 
What? Think about what you're saying. You're going to bring Stipe in. Stipe's already been out for two years. I check my words when I speak about him. I admire him as a man. And his athletic skills are beyond rebuke. But he's still a man. He's still a human. He's been out for two years as is. He's now going to be out another year. So we're going to have a guy that's been out three years take on a guy that's fought one time in four years. And that's going to be for the undisputed belt. Meanwhile, we got two busy KG veterans over here. And they're going to fight for a fake belt, which to preserve the match over here, we're going to have to take from them at some point. Why give it to them in the first place? Yuri Prohaska was given one week before they took the belt back. I know you guys love to say he relinquished it. They took the belt back in one week. Jamal Hill had two and a half weeks. The belt came back. John Jones has fought one time in three years. He is now going to sit a minimum of eight months. I don't believe, by the way, when you hear eight months, I don't believe that means a return to action. I believe that means a return to the gym. So then you've got the preparation that goes on it on the backside of that. It's a very interesting spot. But if you don't put John with Stipe, right, you're going to put John, at that point, will have fought one other time, which was a squash match against a dude that, that folded. In four years, if you put him with a guy that hasn't been in there in three, he'd probably agree to do it. But if you bring a guy back, he's coming off an injury, he's barely got enough time, right? They already took all of his field goods away. And you're going to put him in there with either Sergi Pavlich or Tom Aspo, who's the young guy that's been busy and been on a schedule? I don't think you're going to be able to make the match. So if you can't make the match, you've got a champion that is unwilling to do fights unless it's with 40-plus-year-old people that haven't done it in years. That doesn't sound like a guy that can be the champion. I don't say any of this to put down John or Stipe. I don't say it for that at all. If that's what you heard, you heard it wrong. My entire intent there was to serve what I believe is the true championship fight. Sergi versus Tom Aspinall, for me, is the true, undisputed championship fight. This sport, to this day, is ran the same way as it was in 1993 when they set up that octagon for the first time in Mobile, Alabama. It is volunteer. You raise your hand. Do you want to do this? Do you believe you're good enough to do this? If it's yes to both of those, we will take you at your word and you're given an opportunity. We have two guys who are willing and ready to do this. And they're going to do it in a main event on pay-per-view hosted by the worldwide leader of ESPN at the Mecca of Sports, Madison Square Garden. There is nothing about that that is not the true championship fight. Guys, mix up at the Mecca, right? We're going to change up Madison Square Garden. That's a tremendous deal, right? There's a lot of moving parts here, and it's very important that you study them. In a regular circumstance, Plan B was already in place. Sergi Pavlich. It's already in place. 
if Jones and or Stipe gets hurt, Sergi goes in against the one that is still standing. It was already in place. If you don't go with that, history says you would elevate your co-main event, which in this case happens to be a world title fight, and that would become your main event. You would move Alex Pierre, who's already sold out the garden before, did it with Israel Adesanya. You'd put him in there with the return of Prohaska. The extremely meaningful fight. I mean, this is Prohaska's chance to show just how good he is. Not to mention the backstory, which nobody's told you likely will never be told it anywhere because these guys don't know how to tell a story. You've got the tie-in that Prohaska took the belt from Yori's coach. It is the biggest element of this fight from a public interest standpoint. Alex Piera stood in the corner and watched his friend, coach, and mentor be stopped by Yuri Prohaska. Took his belt away, took his dreams away. The student from the corner becomes the teacher, and he returns for redemption. It is the biggest public interest story of this entire fight that I assure you, nobody will tell you. Now, I bring that to you because these two have done such a poor job that they didn't get elevated. And if anybody could make a demand that they deserve to be elevated at Madison Square Garden, it's a guy who's already sold it out. And his name is Alex Pierre, but he got demoted. Now, how do you keep him demoted? How does the only world title fight on the card stay underneath anything else on the card? Well, there's only one way. If it's a bigger weight class, and it's also for a belt. So two guys that are completely unapproven as North American draws as it is, two guys who have neither one of them ever headlined a pay-per-view aside from the guard and are going to come in on top of you and we're going to throw a belt out there just to stick with the policy so we don't have to elevate you two, right? I mean, there's a lot of moving parts here. The UFC has done nothing wrong, by the way. Not even close. The athletes have. If Prohaska and Piera get this news, that they're jerking the curtain for two guys who aren't even from here, who, by the way, don't have a championship that they're bringing in. I mean, I just got to share for you, it's a, it's a very big deal. If I were in that co-main event spot, I would be screaming from the rooftops. But if I was Sergi Pavlich, I would have informed the world that we already have a deal. You don't need to call me Tom Aspinall unless you're telling me that Jones and Stipe are hurt. We already have a deal. The deal was I go in on as short of notice as needed, which generally speaking is the way in. Now, that doesn't necessarily pertain to heavyweights, but generally speaking, the backup fighter is specifically there at the way in in case one of the guys doesn't make weight. It's extremely relevant that you do understand that, though. Because Sergi already has a deal. He's already got an opponent. If Jones is, a, he's already got an opponent, but they took that too. Both opponents come off the board and a whole new guy comes in. And that is Sergi Pavlich's fault. Sergi Pavlich has done nothing to let anyone know that he was the backup fighter. Nothing. He's knocked out six men in a row. Do you, that is incredible. 
That is frightening. That is Mike Tyson-esque. And that has never been done in the UFC. And I haven't even gotten to the good part yet. He did it at heavyweight. So he knocked out six guys in a row at heavyweight. Oh, by the way, I haven't even gotten to the good part yet. He did it all in less than one round. That's your game changer right there. That's where it is now Mike Tyson-esque. Six heavyweights. Anyone you want, any way you want to do it, constantly working his way up the rankings. Not bums, not bar fighters, not somebody that Don King found around a corner, paid a little bit of money to so he could go down. Real fighters, better each time. And it's one of these rare situations where that story should be told. But that story needs to be told by Sergey Pavlich. And I'll predict for you as I make this right now, I will predict for you, they don't get main event status. There is a policy within the UFC. This is a policy, right? It's just, it's just a policy. But it was officially stated. We've never had anything officially stated for what an interim champion is. We've never had anything officially stated for how long you can be a champion and not compete before they take it off you. Dominic Cruz did three and a half years. Very, very relevant. Yuri Prohaska not only had it taken off of him, there's been two champions since him. And when he gets in the ring on, a, uh, on uh, November 11th, all combined won't even be one year. It won't even be one full year from the day that Prohaska hurt his shoulders to two other champions have come in, three other title fights have been booked, one of them went to a draw, and then he's back in rotation. I will predict for you that that, as the undisputed belt, wins the policy and becomes the main event. I do not think Aspinall and Sergey Pavlich are going to be put and entrusted with the Garden. That's just my guess. I'm not here to pick on them. I'm here to point out the things that you have to learn from these situations. John Jones, who I feel is off limits today, right? John Jones is a human being and he's hurt. It's a, it's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. You never kick a man in that situation. You help a man up when he's down. To act as though there's not a lesson, sure there is. This is a prime example of why you don't take three years off. John Jones is saying, and I even saw this by Brett Okamoto four minutes ago on ESPN. It was just a prediction. Brett didn't have inside info, but he's an expert in the space. Working on the worldwide leader, Brett said, I think John's next fight's his last fight. Brett even said, the reason I believe they're going to preserve the match with John and Stipe is because this is a farewell for John. Let's say that that's true, guys. Let's say that John, who doesn't do this for the accolades, he's got them all. He doesn't do it for the rankings. He's number one. Does it for the money, period. Let's say that he just needs one more. One more, Brett's going to be right and John's going to call. Let's just say that one more could have been three years ago. This whole situation could have been avoided. That one more that'll get you over the hump for the rest of your life could have been nine matches by this point right now. You're already on the beach out there in the Bahamas. It's extremely important as an athlete, you get the matches that you can get when you can get them. 
You fight the fights. You can fight when you can fight them. You win the ones you can win when you can win them. It is paramount. And where they're going to go from here, as much as I'm putting it on Sergi Pavlich for not speaking up and getting Stipe, which is exactly what he should have done, it does go the other way as well, where perhaps Stipe's got one bullet left in the chamber and he wants to hold it, even if it means he'll sit for a total of three years to get in there with John, which I'm predicting for you now does not happen. I would be stronger to predict that if Brett Okamoto turned out to be right. If it really was John's last fight, there is no reason you would have him fight a 42-year-old who's also on his last fight. That's just not the history of the sport. You pass the torch. And as much as it might appear that Jones and Stipe is safe and preserved and Pavlich and Aspinall are going to be for the interim championship. I don't think that they stop there. We're talking about eight months before Jones and Stipe can get in there. In a best case scenario, I actually think that eight months just means before Jones can return to the gym. And that's with help. Don't forget, they took the growth hormone and the testosterone away from him. Like, this is going to have to heal very naturally on his own. It's a very different scenario when you're 36 and 37 years old. It's a very different scenario. So in a best case scenario, if guys can return from this in eight months, you're talking about this fight being a meaningful amount of time away. I don't believe that the winner of Aspinall and or Pavlich is going to sit on their ass for a year. I think they're going to fight. I think they're going to fight again. And the world is going to be a very different place. If you believe that John and the preservation of a guy who's fought one time in four years, if you believe that that's going to be protected, you just haven't followed the sport. And if you believe that's going to be protected because it's forced to be protected because he has the power, I think if you're looking at the board right now, you're making a fair statement. But I also think that you're playing checkers instead of chess. It's all a big game of what if, but what if Sergi Pavlich does to Tom what he did to the last six guys? What if Sergi Pavlich finishes Tom Aspinall in the first round. The star power of Pavlich, as little as he can do, even when you have a guy that's a turd in the punch bowl like Sergi is, even when you have that guy that can't do anything right, he can still become a superstar. It's just a lot longer path. Fedor Emelianenko went on to be a global phenomenon by staying mysterious. Vince McMahon sold out every pay-per-view and every WrestleMania he put Brock Lesnar on the top of the bill of, and Brock didn't do any of those things. He stayed mysterious. You definitely can get over that way. You definitely can be beloved by the audience. It just takes longer. Well, Sergi's already six deep. So if he goes and becomes 70th in a feature match that comes with a belt, that comes with a whole bunch of promotions, should you capture it, and he does it at Madison Square Garden, the world's going to be a very different place. And I don't predict for you he stops there before at least it ties in to a John Jones scenario. I would think that he's going to do this fight and at least one more. And all of a sudden, the world looks very different. And you're looking at this guy, you're looking at this shiny, bright new object that everybody's looking at, and you're trying to wonder, why am I? Why do I got an undisputed belt on this heavyweight that has never even been punched by a heavyweight? Like, you start to ask yourself those questions. It's just very real. It's very normal. It's not a knock on John. It's not a slide in the least. It's just the way that this business goes. It would be beyond weird 
to have either Sergi or Tom as your interim champion. Healthy, willing, and ready. And then bringing your undisputed champion to fight somebody else. We don't know a lot about interim belts, right? There's never been any rules set. Yuri Prohaska had a belt taken off of him in seven days at the same time that Francis Ngano sat for 10 months. So there's some give and take here. And for some people, it's one of their favorite parts about MMA. But I'm sharing with you, this would be unprecedented for what little criteria that we have. We do always have what's known as a precedence. We do always have history. Nothing within history says you can have a healthy and willing interim champion, a return of your undisputed champion, and have them not face. What happens then? Either Sergi or Tom Aspinall sit in the front row and see who wins between John and Stipe, and that's going to be their next opponent, except it's not because they're both dinosaurs and they both said they're going to retire me away. Things get really weird. And while you might want to preserve and show respect to that today, things become very different after you have a new young champion. And that's if it's Sergi. That's if it goes to Pavlich, who can't, this guy couldn't spell promotion. As my friend Colby Covington would say, this guy couldn't draw money if you gave him a white sheet of white paper and a green crayon. Aspinall, on the other hand, is the total package. If Aspinall can get the jump on the young Russian, oh, by the way, has the skills that he has, not to mention he's got my back and he's got Michael Bisping's back and there's only so many voices in the sport. And I'm just sharing for you to make believe that the world eight months from now that appears to belong to Stipe and Jones is still going to belong to Stipe and Jones. I think that's unlikely. I don't think anything about this match should be viewed as an interim championship. You have a champion who tells the world, I'm not even tough enough to try. Not even tough enough to compete. And this would be very cold and, and very hard language because someone is injured. It wouldn't change the fact, right? It doesn't change the fact that the 125 pounder can't beat the 205 pounder. It doesn't change the fact of his DNA or how he was born or that this is insensitive. It doesn't change anything that his skills are better and he's more driven and he's more disciplined and his mother treated him nicer. It doesn't change the fact that he's 125 pounds and that guy's 205 and the fight's going to go the same way every time. It's a very weird thing that we're doing right now. And we, the audience, at some point need to unionize and couple together and push back and give Aspinall and Pavlich what they deserve, which is the respect of recognizing the World Heavyweight Championship is going to be contested and determined by the winner of that fight. I have talked to you guys about online data privacy before. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to protect your online privacy. I'm on the road a lot, and I often have to connect to hotel and airport internet, but I don't do it without connecting to a VPN, a virtual private network. One of the many benefits of using a VPN is to secure your connection on public Wi-Fi so you can browse in full privacy. Hackers have many methods to steal your data on public hotspots, but with a VPN, your online traffic is invisible to them. Also, government agencies, 
marketers, and internet service providers all love to track and collect your browsing history, messages, and other private data. This is not a conspiracy theory, it's a fact. The best way to hide your data while online is using NordVPN. I believe privacy is a fundamental right and NordVPN helps to protect that right along with your data. As we head into the holiday season, avoid targeted pricing, fake websites, and bait and switch attacks with a VPN. Shop securely. Knowing your credit card details will be safe from snoopers even on public networks. Grab NordVPN's exclusive deal now at nordvpn.com slash and get extra subscription time. Try it risk-free now with a 30-day money-back guarantee at nordvpn.com slash S-O-N-N-E-N. That's nordvpn.com slash Thanks to NordVPN for sponsoring our show. Have you ever been caught in a rainstorm wearing the wrong pair of shoes? Guys, out here in the Pacific Northwest, it happens to us often. I love to take my kids out. I love to take the dogs along with us. We go on nice long walks through the neighborhood. But I hate throwing on clunky rain boots. And you know what I hate even more? Wet socks. What if I told you I came across a shoe that is lightweight, breathable, and waterproof? Not to mention, it's pretty good looking. Vessi has mastered the creation of waterproof functionality, and style. These shoes outsmart the weather and keep me ready for anything, rain or shine. I appreciate that I don't have to change my shoes just because the weather can't make up its mind. My Vessi shoes keep up with my day-to-day outings, style, and the weather. Most of the country is about to head into the rainy season. So why don't you head over to Vessi.com slash Use the promo code CHAIL. That's going to get you 15% off your order. You're welcome for that, by the way, guys. That's Vessi.com slash CHAIL. V-E-S-S-I dot com slash CHAIL. Use the code CHAIL. Save the 15%. Don't wait until your socks are wet. Be prepared and grab a pair. Johnny Walker is sticking with it, and, and you've got to, right? you got to stick with it to the grave. The, the, the greats will do what's called kayfabe. Now, kayfabe is a term that comes back from more of the carny times of professional wrestling, where they were still going town to town, bringing in a local tough guy. Like, do you, do you know how pro wrestling used to work before there was TV and before there was digital and everybody had a smartphone and before Twitter and all of these things? They were just the traveling circus. And they would literally have a truck with their stuff in the back and they pull from one town to the next. They'd pop the popcorn. The business was solely on gross receipts at the door, meaning ticket sales. The wrestlers themselves were paid on a percentage. So if you saw if you did 10,000 seats, right, which never happened back then, but, but but if you did, you could get a huge check. Or you could also get 25 bucks for gas money, which was just enough to get to the next town and to try this all over again. So one of the things that these carnies would do is they would get into a town. The matches are going to be on Saturday. And they go to a local bar on a Wednesday. And they'd find one of the tough guys there. They'd find the local town tough guy. And right there in the bar organically, they would build this match. But they would stick in character and they would act as though it's real. And they would get a commitment from the guy. Then if the guy really was a tough guy, 
They would even go a step further, which is to have the match done, makes everybody know, and then fight him right in that spot. And the wrestlers used to be what's called hookers back then, or at least a couple of them were. A couple of them were actual shooters, which means they were legit tough guys. If they were actually trying to pin you or stretch you, they had the ability to. Then, of course, you, you, you got the pretenders. But when it was one of those situations and the town actually had a legit tough guy, they could tell by looking at one of the hookers would engage with him and actually hurt him. He would hurt him in some capacity, maybe twist his ankle, something along these lines, because when the actual tough guy gets to the match on Saturday that they're using to draw, they are going to actually fight. They're going to actually try to pin the local tough guy who's not in on the gag, or they're going to try to stretch him, make him tap out because he's not in on the gag. So one of these wrestlers got to be a, a legitimate, pretty tough guy, but he's also going to be legitimately hurt and beat up as they go to the next town. But this is what it was. And you stayed in character. Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man, would go nowhere without Virgil with him in a tuxedo and in a limousine. When he was at home in Minnesota, if he wanted to go to a restaurant, Virgil goes with him and he arrives in a tuxedo in a limousine. When Terry Bolia wants to make a local reservation for he and his family, he will make the reservation under the name of Hulk Hogan and he will show up to the meal in red and yellow. It was called kayfabe. Where that term came from was these carnies not having enough money to call home. So they would call home collect. And some of you will be, you'll, you'll be too old to know about collect calls, but you used to go up to something called a payphone, and there was a way to call collect. So an operator would connect you, and the operator would say to the person that picks up the phone, this is a collect call, do you accept the charges? Meaning, I'm at the payphone, I was supposed to put my quarters in, but I don't have any quarters, I'm broke. So I call you, but you agree to pay the quarters that I should have put in. So they would say yes, you called your mother, you called your wife, you called your son and daughter, they would say yes. Well, the only message is to let your family know that you've made it to the town safely. So when the operator would say, who is the call from, you would say kayfabe. So the operator who is now connected with your loved one will say, do you accept the charges from kayfabe? Your loved one says no and hangs up, but now you've given them the message, which was, hey, honey, I've made it and I'm safe. And you didn't have to pay the couple of quarters, which you didn't have because you're a carny and you're collecting, right? I mean, it's just the way that it was. The greats will stay in character and the greats will never wilt. So Johnny Walker is telling a story that the night of his fight, when they stopped the fight, he lost his mind. He said, I've, oh, I lost my mind. That's why he was getting mad. And that's why he was shaking the referee, right? You've got to stay with it. I like it. I like the whole thing. Johnny gets a good reception from the crowd. Uncle Live does not. Johnny's got a bit where he comes up and he's a goofball and he falls, right? I mean, I don't like the bit. He's goofy enough that he, he can pull it off. I don't like anyone trying to act like a nerd. I don't get it. I don't think what it, what it takes to get you where you ultimately want to be, which is the main event on top of the bill, nerds have never done well. But if you're going for the nerd market and you want to make the funny eyes and do the work, I mean, there's still a spot for you. And not for nothing, Johnny gets a great reception. People do like that goofiness. So when he broke character and went into crazy mode, which wasn't to actually get Doug alive or be crazy, Dana already offered him a rematch. He's already said, he has not agreed to the rematch. 
He didn't say no, but he hasn't agreed to the rematch. Said, we'll think it over, right? If you actually went crazy and you actually want to fight a guy to the point that you're pushing official aside, you'd agree to the rematch like that. Unless you're kayfabing. And I don't blame him for it. There's a good way to do it. But before we get to the kayfabe and before we get to the performance of Johnny having to act like I wanted to go on, before we do any of this make-believe, we have to back up to the idea that it never should have been there. Johnny came out and he put a tweet out and it was great. And Johnny just said, if there's rules in the sport and we don't get a penalty if we don't follow them, why follow them? And Johnny's right. I mean, th this is an issue that must be addressed at the executive level. Executive directors who are hiring have got to step in. Because the referees have very clearly banned together and have attempted to overwrite the rule of what a downed fighter is. And they're overriding the rule by not making it illegal. And there is, within the rules, it is the discretion of the referee to decide if it was intentional or it was unintentional. I bring that to you because, like, if Johnny and or Uncle I have wanted to protest this call, they would lose. They would lose. It's up to the referee. And the referee's already made it clear that his discretion says it's unintentional. And there was another fight that same night, Tim Elliott's fight. I mean, just the same night. We see this all the time. But even in Tim Elliott's fight, it happened twice. Twice. Tim's my friend. Tim's the one that did it. I'm calling out my own friend. But that's what happened. Tim did an illegal move twice. No points were taken away. The broadcast and the announcers weren't even said, hey, they got to take a point for that. Not only you take a point, you give the guy his five minutes. Not only you give him his five minutes, you disqualify the other guy. We've only got a couple of rules in the sport. I mean, one of the bigger problems is the executive directors giving the authority to the referee to continue a match. If a guy cheats, you stop the match. There isn't different levels of cheating, by the way. Like when Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield and they stopped the match and they took Tyson's license away, that wasn't a different level. There are in society, there's all sorts of different levels of crime. Jaywalking and bank robbery are, are not the same crime. Take it from me, I've done both. They're different levels of crimes that come with different punishments. Some are citations, some are arrests, some are probation, some are jail time. But it's not that way within the administrative rules. They are all equal. That comes all the way down to ped use. Steroids will get you banned for two years. Advil, Advil, street name ibuprofen, got the 2008 Olympic gymnastic champion stripped and removed for the same two years that steroids would. They're all created the same. Whether you like it or not, that's a whole different conversation. They're all created the same. So if I bite a guy, do you think that they're going to continue that match? Do you think for any reason they're going to say, well, but he didn't bite him that hard. Eh, he bit him and the skin broke. But, ah, you know, we're, we're kind of winding this one down. He's losing. Any, I think it's better for this guy. Plus there's a champion. The championship, this is just a mess. Let's just have him finish this out. Do you think that's going to happen? So why for this cheating violation? Is it even up to a discretion? Why? 
It's a rhetorical question. There's an answer. Do you guys know what it is? Because the executive directors are admitting up front when they wrote the rule that fighters are so goddamn stupid, they're going to go out and they're going to break the rule. We only have a few rules. No groin stuff. No eye pokes. Don't kick the son of a bitch when he's down. If you poked his eyes, or if you bit him for any reason, it's over. It's not even a debate. Not, not only that, the one and only time that we've actually seen it, not only was it over with how to debate, they took the man's license away. And it's all equal, according to the commissions. All equal. All cheating and violations are equal, but they're not. It doesn't matter what the doctor said to Johnny. It doesn't matter that Johnny pretended. N none of this matters. It never should have gone there. It was illegal. Johnny's asking a great question right now. If we have something illegal that is not punished and it's effective, why wouldn't I do it? And Johnny's right. And the executive directors and the commissioner, you always have these unforeseen. You plan something, you're the best of intents, and it gets off track. But once it does and you have knowledge of that, you must fix it. And one executive director that wants to go down in the books as one that actually stepped forward, right? I mean, they're doing this for the money, but they hang their hat on taking the taxpayer's money on fighter safety, but they don't ever do anything to actually improve fighter safety. Now they have the evidence. Saturday, three times, not once, three times in one event. And I'm just using Saturday. I could go to the Saturday before that and the one before that. I could go to this organization and this organization. Happens all the time. And now that we have evidence that nothing is going to happen, why wouldn't you do it? If you're ever in a hard fight and you're not sure which way it's going to go, anybody would rather be no contest. Of course they would. Many guys would rather even be, if you're losing anyway, they'd rather lose by disqualification. Many guys. Now, they wouldn't do that if you're going to take their license, which is what they did the one and only time we've seen a bite happen. But... They don't treat illegal activity the same. To Johnny's point, as of right now, as of Saturday, three different times, two different officials, there's no punishment at all. Johnny asks a good question. Why would I not do it? If there's no punishment, then it doesn't really feel illegal. And if it's going to help me, why wouldn't I do it? Why don't one of you answer his question? There's 50 of you in the country. One of you, step four, answer Johnny's question. And that's been met with a narrative that I did not expect. By example, there's two. One, he doesn't deserve it. Chemayev doesn't deserve to fight for a world championship at 185 pounds. He hasn't earned that. Now, this is a completely undefeated fighter. This is a fighter who now four times within the organization has fought at 185 pounds. One time at a catch weight and three times down at 170. With one thing in common, he has never lost. And these are over the top guys in the world. I mean, you do have to go back to the Gilbert Burns fight and understand Gilbert Burns was a number one contender. Gilbert Burns was a title challenger. 
you do have to look at Kamar Usman and understand that is a world champion and a future Hall of Famer. But it wasn't at the weight class. That appears to be the argument. The reason I tell you that surprises me is there's nothing new today that wasn't here a week ago. Nothing. There's nothing new here today that wasn't here four months ago. In terms of, it was announced that Chemayev would be in this spot, and it was also announced that if Chemayev wins one fight after dedicating to 185 pounds, I tell you guys this, just so that you remember the words, because I feel like some people don't. Dana has spoke about Chemayev and his ability to fight for championships. The first time that he finally did this was at a media scrum in the Mecca Madison Square Garden two days before bell time of Usman versus Covington Part 2. How's that for a memory? Did that just impress you? That should have impressed you. And Dana spoke on it. Now, the narrative was there. And, of course, it was for Chemayev versus Kamara Usman. And welterweights are featured. Kamara is going to be walking out last in a sold-out Madison Square Garden. But Dana said no. He said, this guy's had four fights with us. I, I acknowledge he's looked good. None of those guys were ranked. He hasn't even picked a weight class. He's 24 years old. I'm not going to put... Kamar Usman isn't just a champion. This is Dana talking. Kamar Usman isn't just a champion. He's the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. I'm not putting a guy with four match experience over non-ranked guys against the absolute best guy I got under contract. He needs four more fights. You give me four more fights, let's rehab this conversation. But that was also Dana's way of saying, stop bringing this up. I'm tired of this. I'm kicking the can. Four fights before any of you ask this again. Now, I told you guys back then that I had a different interpretation of what Dana meant by four fights. I told you then. My interpretation is Dana saying, hey, he needs about a year and a half. But a year and a half from now, he could be ready. Not the specific four fights. Now, move the can down the road. The great Chemayev marking experience that happened on accident, which is to keep that guy busy, somebody dropped the ball on. Somebody dropped the ball on the single biggest gift ever given this sport in marketing, and they didn't keep him busy. And there's various reasons as to why. But either way, about a year and a half is what I predicted for you. And it did come out and got clarified where Dana said, if he picks 185, if he commits to that, that means let the 170 go. Let this catch weight or whatever 178 was, let it all go. Commit yourself to one weight class. And Dana's never by policy loved guys bouncing around. He's, he's never really listened. So that, that made a lot of sense when Dana said that. It was very consistent. So, but if he wins one fight there, I will put him in for the belt. Now, of course, things changed. Israel Adesanya, just by example, was no longer the champion, and that was not foreseen. There did not appear to be anybody on that roster that could even hang with Adesanya. So would that change Dana's mind? I don't know, but he did say these words. I'm not in the division. I have no horse in the race. I do not have an ability and or a need to strategize to put myself there. There was no reason when Dana made that comment that I would even remember it to this day. But I do, and apparently not another matter of weight did. 
The other middleweights either didn't hear it or they were so deathly scared of Chemayev they didn't go for it, right? If Dana White comes out and he says if Chemayev's next fight's at 185, whoever it is, it was a blanket policy. The opponent didn't matter. You could walk a mop out there if you could get it licensed. If he gets a win at 185, there was not even a rumor for an opponent when Dana made this comment. Every middleweight that claims he would like to be champion should have fought tooth and nail to be opposite Chemayev, and they all could have got it, any one of them. Any middleweight could have got it. Duplisi, Whitaker, go, go right through the list. Gaslam would have been on there, but he announced that he was going to go down to 170. Bo Nickel, any one of them could have got it. And why? Because nobody wanted it. Nobody stepped up to that challenge. So then, even when you do have Paulo Costa, somehow, which has never been clarified for any of us, somebody gets a terrible idea of putting Paulo Costa against a Russian kickboxer on a Salt Lake card in a non-feature match. Like, of all of decision-making of 2023 that needed to be ran back, it was that decision, and it did get ran back to pull him off to put him in there with Shemaya, but it wasn't just to preserve that match in that specific location on October 22nd. It's because none of the rest of the cowards did it. That's the truth. And when I'm talking about nobody, apparently I do need to call Jared Cannonier a nobody because he did. I, I do need to give him that credit. But it, I mean, it's if a tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it, doesn't make a sound, right? When Cannonier says he'll do something, but he doesn't let anybody, I mean, like it's, it's different. Cannonier does get the credit though. Cannonier does not get on the list of cowards that all the rest of you middleweights do. So it's so hard to find an opponent for an opportunity that has already been established. It will be a number one contenders match. That was already established by Dana. And you all heard it. Don't act like you didn't hear it. You all heard it. You all knew what was at stake. And none of you were willing to do it. So the same way that we could have walked a mop out there and given it the opportunity, I got a broke down vacuum at my house. We could have put it in there. It would have got the opportunity. What difference does it make? What middleweights does Shemayev have to beat if he's already backed you down? Why would he have to go out there and beat you if you're reluctant to go out there because you know he's going to beat you? What difference would it make? You sign a contract and pretend you're hurt, or this guy says he will sign a contract and then he pretends he's hurt. What difference does it make? Shemayev did not just go out there and beat a guy, by the way. He beat a guy who's already beat the guy. Not for nothing. But this whole idea about, well, it's a middleweight versus a welterweight. You're the same weight. Th this is a new age phenomenon by the new fake tough guys that are known as ultimate fighters. 15 pounds? It's the same. You weigh the same thing. There's wars going on in the world right now. This is very serious talk. There's wars in the world right now. Do you think anybody on that battlefield asked the other guy what he weighed? Whoa, 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 whoa. Now you look about 10 pounds bigger than me. Hold on, I got a friend. I got a friend. You're in. It's ridiculous. Not to mention, it's the same thing. 170 and 185, that's the same thing. My son is eight years old and has very limited experience. He's actually had 19 practices in total. He's already had one tournament, which, by the way, I'm very proud he won. They didn't even weigh him in. They asked him, what do you weigh? You write it down on a sheet. It goes to a bracket room. It's not even seen. Of course, like, fathers are lying all over the place. because you, you just go do it. It's the same thing.
185 and one, it's the same thing to an actual tough guy, to a legitimate tough guy. It's the same thing. And the idea that Chemayev doesn't deserve it because he's only beaten the guy. Well, that one guy he beat, beat the guy. So I, I feel like you're, you're insulting Kamara Usman when you say that. But he was willing to face anybody. In fact, he started with the Terminator. Do you know how Paul Acosta got that name, by the way? He got it from you guys. He didn't give himself the name. He came in with a nickname. He called himself the Eraser. He was so effective, he got named the Terminator, right? When you get a moniker like that, it's like the axe murderer. If, if when somebody calls you that, right, R- Roberto Duran was hands of stone. Like, when you get those kinds of names, not only did you guys not want to fight Chimaev, you guys wanted to fight Paulo Costa. So to make believe that he's going to go out and beat you, he already beat you. He beat you here. He beat you with heart. He beat you with willingness and courage. He already beat all of you. What's the difference if he backs you down in the back? What is the difference if he wilts you from signing your name on a paper? What's the difference if he puts so much fear in your heart, you can't go to Twitter and 160 characters or less and make it known to the world that you want the opportunity? You didn't do those things because you lost. I do not subscribe to the idea that Chemayev has beaten four middleweights. I don't subscribe to that. He beat every single middleweight, except Cannoneer. I got to give Jared a pass on this. He beat every single middleweight. And let's just make believe that he doesn't deserve the shot. Great. He doesn't deserve the shot. Can we agree that he's one win away? Could we agree that that would be fair? That means completely undefeated. He's already been given the shot. Can we agree that we will quit arguing if he does one more fight? Can we agree on that? Okay, great. Great. We all agree. Which one he is going to fight him? Which one he is is going to step up and say, I want the opportunity and I'm willing to go through Chemayev. Because you were just in that same spot Saturday. And the answer, aside from Cannon here, is none of you. Zero. He's already beat you. He's the number one contender. Guys, the number one question I get asked all the time, what's the most important habit you can build on to be successful? You know what my answer is? Sleep. I am no sleep expert, but I can tell you that for myself, I perform at my optimum level mentally and physically when I'm getting regular deep sleep. And honestly, that hasn't always been easy. This is where Momentous Sleep Pack comes in. Momentous experts created a natural ingredient combination that will help you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up refreshed. The ingredients are so clean that they're used by the best Olympians, pro athletes, and college team. Momentous Sleep Pack has every certification under the sun, including being NSF certified. I usually take a pack 30 minutes before bed and boom, I wake up feeling like a million bucks. If you're having trouble sleeping and it's affecting your daily performance, I highly recommend Momentous Sleep Pack. Designed by the world's best experts, used by the world's best teams and athletes, and made for all of us, guys. Go to livemomentous.com. Use the promo code CHAIL. That's going to get you 20% off your first order. That's livemomentous.com and use the promo code CHAIL.
next in line for Islam Makhlchev, Dana White has backed that claim up. Now, what would you do, right? Like, it's very difficult to discount Charles Oliveira. You've got the usual suspects, right? You got Benny DeRouche, you got Justin Gaethje, you got Dustin Poirier, stud, 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 star, star, star. We all understand all of those things. Charles Oliveira and those three athletes have something in common. Not only has Charles fought all of them, not only has Charles beat all of them, Charles finished all of them. It's a very difficult thing to get around. Now, Dustin Poirier is not making a claim. He is not making a rightful claim or a push to get himself in there with Makhlchev. I think that Dustin has a right to. It got revealed to us a week ago that Dustin Poirier was called and asked, would you fight? I guess I can't call it an offer. It's more of an ask. Would you fight Islam in 11 days? It would appear that the UFC was just trying to get a, a pool of guys together before they then formed their decision. But either way, Dustin was called and Dustin did say yes. And the relevance to all of that is there wouldn't be a reasonable conversation you could have. There wouldn't be a reasonable argument. All we're doing is making arguments here, right? There wouldn't be a reasonable argument where if John Morgan is in the audience and he asked that question of Dana White and Dana White pushes back and says, hey, wait a minute, Dustin lost his last fight. As a matter of fact, D Dustin was finished in his last fight, John. As great as Dustin is, he can't go into a championship match, and you know that. Yeah, it would just be tough to make that argument. Now that we're armed with that phone call already happened, and that almost did happen. So now you've got a willingness factor. Who is willing? Who's an actual tough guy that's willing to do it? Boom, Dustin Poirier's back in play. But only if he chooses to put himself in play. And as of right now, it doesn't look like that's his move. So then you go to Benny. Benny, same reasoning, lost his last fight, actually was finished in his last fight. Very hard from an argumentative standpoint to put himself in front of Charles when that fight that I was referencing that he lost and was finished in was done by Charles. Okay, now you have Justin Gaethje. You got everybody's favorite fighter. Your favorite fighter's favorite fighter, to quote the great John Anik, UFC Gaethje himself, who is a champion. He's a BMF champion. So now you got Hogan versus Warrior. You got champion versus champion, or at least the opportunity. And Gaethje is standing up for himself. And he is making the argument. And he is saying, this is what's next. And he is saying, this is what I want. And if I have to wait until Charles has the chance first, then I will. My next match, this is Gaethje speaking, my next match will be for the world championship against Islam. This is Justin speaking. He is not saying against the winner of Islam, Charles. It is a foregone conclusion. They have already fought. There was nothing remotely competitive about it. So when Justin speaks about it, he says it's going to be Islam. Even if I have to wait, even if I have to wait for Islam to get through Charles first, okay, and then I open up, but I'm going to wait. And I'm just not positive that I like that argument by Gaethje because I'm not positive I'm sold on it, right? It's like, it's like anything in life, the golden rule being to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. What would I do if I was in their spot? And I would not be doing that if I was Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje has actually, in interviews, said, I lost to Charles. He's told people that. 
And, and that right there is a huge mistake, and it's a misunderstanding of how many new fans this sport has every single week. Justin Gaethje just can't imagine that there's somebody that's a UFC fan that doesn't know that he and Charles fought. And moreover, he just doesn't imagine there's a UFC fan out there who doesn't know that Charles beat him. It's hard. All, all fighters go through that. It's not unique to Gaethje. It's just always a miss. You get so toast to the trees, you can't stand back. You just can't see things. And if I was to put myself in Justin's spot, I would make the demand. He's absolutely right. You don't finish Dustin Poirier and not fight for the belt. He's right about that. And anytime anybody asked me about Charles Oliveira, I would make very clear, I am the number one contender. I am the BMF champion. I am next in line for 155 pounds. Well, you lost Charles Oliveira. I didn't say I'm the number one contender at 155.4 pounds, which is what Charles weighed. I am the number one contender at 155 pounds, which is what the contract stated we were supposed to weigh. So if you want to bring in an argument of a guy who cheated, violated the contract, lost his belt, even though he didn't lost a fight, that's the guy you want to put in? You want to put in a guy who lost his belt to a scale? You want to put a guy in who got a scratch and didn't go and do a fight, who three times told the world he's not going to do a fight. You want to put a guy in front of me who didn't fight me at the weight class we're discussing. I'm the 155-pound number one contender. You lost to Charles. I lost to Charles at 155.4 pounds. That's not the weight class of the champion, Islam Makhlchev. Islam Makhlchev and I fight at the contractual weight of 155 pounds. So why do you keep bringing up that I lost to a guy who's the 155.4-pound king? I think it's a compelling argument. I also think it's the truth. Justin Gaethje was at Fight Island in person. Justin Gaethje showed up to a fight that ended up being Volkanovski and Islam. The guy who had a contract to show up to the fight didn't even show up. He wasn't even in the country. He wasn't even in the continent. Not to mention somebody should inform him. It's not a 155.4 pound fight. It's a 155 pound fight. Here's your hat. What's your hurry? That's the argument I would make. I would make it defiantly and I would make it aggressively. It's a battle right now for the hearts and the minds of the masses. And whoever gets the hearts and the minds of the masses is going to get the fight. I tend to believe it's going to go exactly like Justin Gaethje said. Charles, followed by Justin. I do believe that. But I also believe that with the assumption that we constantly get reminded isn't true. Whether it was two weeks ago with Paulo Costa, whether it was two weeks ago with Charles, whether it's three weeks from now with John Jones, whether it's three weeks from now with Steve Miocic, we constantly get reminded that things happen. And every day that goes by that Justin Gaethje is not in the ring with Islam, it lessens the chances that that will happen. It ups the odds of an injury that throws that whole thing off, of an illness that throws the whole thing off. Khabib Nurmagomedov himself, out of absolute nowhere, grabbed a microphone and retired. You can bet your ass Islam will go out the exact same way that his mentor did, which is out of absolute nowhere, he's going to drop a hammer on everybody. 
So if Justin Gaethje is to stand down out of sportsmanship, and what difference does it make anyway? I want to fight Islam next. I am going to fight Islam in my next fight. What difference does it make? Well, it makes a big difference. If somebody gets hurt, if somebody gets sick, if Charles agrees to a fight, you've got the history of Charles Oliveira of missing weight and or as of now pulling out due to paper cuts. So are you going to be aware of that history when Charles signs a contract? Are you yourself going to go into training camp knowing it is more likely than any other weight class that you will be called upon for an opportunity? Or are you going to wait, let that date subside and go to a different date? I don't know. I'm just asking the question. But so often in this world and more often in this sport, you will get what you ask for. If Justin Gaethje asks that he gets dibs after Charles goes, he's going to get that. No matter how many times you get a more reasonable person like Chael to come in and say, no, Justin, hold on a second. You're the number one contender. No, I'm not. I lost to Charles. No, excuse me. The contendership and the rankings are done in weight classes. You did not lose to Charles at this weight class. That is fiction. That did not happen. You and or the scale and or Arizona took the belt away from Charles. That is what happened. You were not stopped and you were not defeated by a guy in this weight class. You are the one that stopped Poirier at this weight class. You're the one that made events and stopped Fitzayev at this weight class. What has Charles done at this weight class? Moreover, what has he done to you at this weight class? Because it's this weight class we're arguing about. And you'd have a very different conversation. You'd have a very different outlook from Justin Gaethje. And at the end of the day, with all of the arguments, and Charles most certainly has his, and it appears that he has the blessing of Dana White, and I'm screaming about nothing over here. That is what the, it appears. But the reality is you get what you ask for. You don't get anything else. And Justin Gaethje's statement that you don't stop Poirier and not fight for the belt can hold up against any scrutiny that anybody wants to oppress it with. So we're getting close. We're getting close to the Globetrotters taking on the Lakers. And the, the, the mismatched sporting event of my lifetime. Without exaggeration. And that's fine, right? I don't have a big problem with that. But I still would like to discuss it. And when you have a flop of this level, right? You have somebody that came in with a disaster of an idea, and they're all bets. Like, I, I couldn't give the guy a hard time who came in and pitched this and got somebody to open up the purse strings. You don't know, right? The Globetrotters are well-known, and the Lakers are well-known, and the Globetrotters suck, and the Lakers are really good, but does the audience really know that? And there's still something fun there, potentially, and we're going to bring them together, and you, do, you just don't know. So, in a normal situation, when you have a flop to this degree, right? And you don't know when it gets announced. You don't know. You got to make the trailers. You got to get the word out there. You got to see, right? And, and there's really weird indicators that you would never have access to. By example, when you're going to put the Globetrotters and the Lakers together, you put out a press release 
And everybody that you send that to in the media then has your contact, and that's where they start coming in asking for requests, asking for interview requests. Now, once you get those requests, of course, the number that comes in, right, if you're inundated, good sign you're on the right track. But then it also matters what kind of interview. Is it going to be live? Is it going to be in studio? Are we doing this tape delay and they're going to put it out later? That right there, not a good sign. If it can be a phoner and the guy can just call in, now you might have to settle for that because you're calling the shots because of supply and demand. But if the request to be in studio isn't even there, right? There's ways where you find out from a PR perspective real fast, what do I have here? So when we announced the Globetrotters versus the Lakers, it was a dud. But you still got to go through it, right? You still got the purse strings. You still got this guy that's willing to lose a bunch of money. He's not actually a fight promoter. Like, he's not he's not expecting to get a return on his investment so that he can pull on his next event. It's a one-off, and it's a terrible idea. And he'll be lucky if they don't behead him. But here we go. When you have something like that, and you put out the trailers, and you put out the comments, and then you go to one of your principal's social media, and you see the engagements or lack thereof. I mean, this is abysmal. To explain to you how abysmal, I actually just put up a poll on my own YouTube. Thousands of you weighed in very quickly. I mean, it was like under 10 minutes and we, we had about 3,000 people. Small focus group, I agree, but in a very brief period of time, are you going to watch Francis versus Fury? Hell no was an option. Hell no was at 90%. 90% of a hardcore base, which is you guys. No, not going to do it. So I, I bring that to you because in a normal situation, in a normal environment like this, where you have a promoter who's refinanced his house, he's went and got investors and he started with friends and family, he's going to call the whole thing off. The whole thing is going to get called off. And those contracts aren't worth a damn. Nobody's flying over to Saudi Arabia to try to sue you, right? I mean, like, your contract and your agreement is only as good as the guy who you made it with. So he would normally take the loss, take the promotional off, cut the whole thing. And he wouldn't say that. He wouldn't say these two guys are duds. He would just see that they're duds. Like, you got to understand, in this equation, the Globetrotters, don't, they don't even know what it means. They have no idea that they're a loss and they're not worth a single cent. You're not worth it. If you can't bring in a return, you're not worth anything. You're now a loss. So if I got to go spend $10 million to promote you and I bring back $8 million, you're a loss. But the Globetrotters don't understand that in this equation. Like, the Globetrotter will put out a tweet and get 44 retweets, right? Which is... Which is the world telling you, we don't care. You'd pull the rug. You'd blame the venue. You'd say it got flooded. You'd say there was an electrical issue. You'd say the fire marshal shut you down. You'd do something to cover PR, but either way, you cancel the event. That would be a normal situation. Because the funding on this was expecting to lose, happy to win, but either way, dealing with the kinds of money that it didn't matter either way. The Globetrotters are still going to take on the Lakers, but I bring this to you because we, when you look at the abysmal interest in this event, you will then have to look at the pay-per-view that was Will Fury taking on KSI. And there was a report that came out, they did 1.3 million buys. To explain to you, Okay, 
the pay-per-view model is not what it used to be. I mean, it hasn't been for four years. In those four years, people still don't know. You guys didn't know the pay-per-view business. I could I could take the smartest one of you and you couldn't give me an accurate paragraph on the pay-per-view business. You never could. But if you did give me a paragraph, that would suck. You have no idea what you're talking about. 10 years ago, if you put those same words now, and I could just throw it out without even grading it. It is a vastly different model. And there used to be people that could do a million. Now, that is a grand slam in the world of pay-per-view. If you were a promoter and executive producer that could do a million pay-per-view buys, you could walk onto the campus of DirecTV. They would roll out a red carpet for you. You could call the president of Time Warner. He will take your call and connect you with the CEO. Just to share for you, you would be such an anomaly. It is such a rare thing. So in today's world, if you can do 100,000, you can stay in the pay-per-view business. You probably won't stay if you can't do 200,000. But one thing about pay-per-view that nobody understands, it takes time. It doesn't matter what your product is and it doesn't matter how good your product is. You are going to lose and lose and lose until you don't. It doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing. Doesn't matter if you're Vince McMahon or you're Dana White. That was your road here. Losing, losing, losing on that cutting edge, on the tipping point before it turns and adjusts. And I'm sharing that for and with you. The 1.3 million is, of course, absurd. It's levels of absurd. But if you want to be the highest rated, most watched fight of all time. The only way to get that is to lie in a press release with a larger lie than the previous person who had the largest lie. You'll hear about Pacquiao's numbers or Mayweather's numbers just by example, the biggest fight of all time, the biggest boxing of all time. But you won't hear about that from any executive in any publicly traded company that is met with FTC regulations. It would be illegal. So you you have no way to know what the biggest draw was ever. You only have a press release that was willing to lie more than the previous liar. So on a 1.3, and I want want them to have all, all the success. I like those guys. I like MAMS. I respect what they're doing. I think they're working hard. They took something. They ran with it. I, I'm very much che- cheering for them. I don't use this as a way of trying to embarrass misfits, right? These are guys with a risk, and they went for it. But if they said 1.3 million, you would be extremely safe to know it was 130,000 or less. And that was with the promotion that Dylan brought that couldn't be touched. I mean, that was a one-off in the world of promotion, which is evident of the fact of the live house. You've got Eddie Hearn himself sitting in the front row, taking in a night of entertainment. You've got Tyson Fury amongst others that have come out and give up what they're doing. That's a very hard thing to do to get A-list celebrities. It's a very hard thing to do. This place was completely packed and sold out, but they still did 130,000. And the promotion for the Globetrotters versus Fury is so bad in comparison to It's so bad in comparison to that Fury's moved on. 
Fury's already signed to do another fight and he's using the date and he's using this opportunity as a marketing to get the word out for that one. It's that bad. And if the Globetrotters were to beat the Lakers, <laughs> right? If they were to beat them, the Globetrotters will never return to what it is that they're good at doing. They'll want to stay there. The Globetrotters will stab everybody in the back that has ever helped them if it serves them. Because they're a dirty, rotten group to start with. So there, there is no what-if scenario. There is no what happens if this happens, which is the art of promotion, which is what brings it in, the mystery, the what-if I've got to see. No matter how sure I am, I've got to see, I've got to be confident. There is no what-if. You're dealing with extremely untrustable people. And if the promoter ever had to do a round of uh, crowd and fundraising, he's got his own mom and dad, brother and sister, and all of his neighbors and cousins in on the deal, he would do the smart thing. He'd pull the fire alarm, pull the rug out, never turn the lights on, and send everybody home. examples like the rules of the playground carry over to the octagon we saw this in politics in 2016 right like if you could turn a class on somebody to tease and ruin that person's day for whatever you're angry with them is those same rules will work on the national stage and get you as far as the white house there was a book it's called everything i need to know i learned in kindergarten and if you read the book, that was a little bit more title catchy. The author's main statement was reading, writing, and arithmetic. Basic reading, basic writing, and basic arithmetic is all that you're ever going to use, which you really get a little closer to that fourth and fifth grade time. But the book was called Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. He was just trying to make a point. And it had to do with division, algebra, trigonometry, calculus, all things that most people will go through their entire life and never need to know. The most extensive math that you will largely do is to go into a grocery store with a hundred bucks in your pocket, look at what things cost, round up, keep track, so when you get to checkout, you're not embarrassed because you come up shortchanged. In all fairness, and this was the argument of the book. But I bring that all to you because when you do look back in your childhood, you look in your youth, right? As adults, we don't tease people. We don't go around and make fun of people. We don't try to get a whole room mad at this person because of some rumor that we started, which may or may not be true. We don't do that, but we did when we were younger. And whether you did it directly, maybe you weren't the person that started the rumor and tried to get everybody turned. Maybe you were one of the person who believed the rumor and did the turning. But you were on one side of that somewhere, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because it turns out, Poor Francis Ngannou had that happen to him. And I've, I've heard the tough luck story by Francis a number of times, but Francis did an interview today and he just said that nobody ever believed he could be a great fighter. And it's, it's hard to talk about. It, it's hard to talk about because he's only six foot six and he's only 300 pounds of absolute solid muscle without ever working out. That's what God handed him. He's taller and more strong than every human alive. But nobody ever believed in the poor guy. They didn't think that he could fight. 
I mean, if I gotta tell you, gag me with a smurf how many times I gotta hear Francis talk about tough luck Francis and how he did this on his own because he believed in himself. I never heard from a teammate that he's had. He's been at gyms all over the world. Not one person has ever said the words, and I do mean ever. Go ahead and Google it. They've never said, wow, Francis outworked everybody today. Boy, that work ethic of Francis and Ghana, wow. Who that drive of Francis. Boy, the dedication of Francis. Boy, you just, this guy's just got an iron will. He's six foot six and 300 pounds natural. There isn't a person that is ingesting endogenous testosterone into their ash cheek that has a higher testosterone count than he has on a daily basis. And nobody believed in me. I did it all on my own. What are you talking about? This will actually, as a matter of fact, right? Here, here you got the, the, the Globetrotters, Captain Francis Ngannou, taking on the 89 Lakers, Captain Tyson Fury. This will be the first time in Francis's career he fights somebody who weighs what he weighs at the weigh-in. There has never been a fight in Francis's entire career where he did not have a weight advantage and a meaningful one. Demetrius Johnson, by example, never had a weight advantage on a single opponent. Anderson Silva never weighed in 20 pounds more than an opponent in his entire career. It's never happened. Francis Ngannou has never fought somebody his own size. Francis Ngannou won a heavyweight championship with a 31 pound weight advantage and had to go to the second round to do that. All right, everybody, that is it for today's program. Thank you for listening. Now, I've asked you guys to go onto Spotify and whether you had any interest in seeing Islam Makhlchev at 170 pounds, specifically against Colby. I want to give a shout out to Jason, who said not until he defends his belt within his own division a few times. That's a fair point, Jason. I'm going to see all of you guys on Tuesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. You're welcome. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.